Hello. Who'd I get? Who'd I get? Who got got? Hello, everybody. How y'all doing? I'm just going to hang over here, kind of over in the corner, I guess, of this particular this particular screen. Have y'all noticed I have to mess with this, like, every single week? Ah, uh, Luis. The goats are crying because you left them outside. What does it sound like when a ghost cries? Didn't Prince sing a song about that? Didn't I do a joke about that last week? Mysteries will never understand. All right. So, Luis. Let's try. Let me see if I can <laughs> see if I can hunt this one down. Mm Was it like that? Is it? <laughs> is that basically what it sounds like, Luis? Is that what it sounds like when a goat cries when it come inside? Mm Something like that? Is that about right? <laughs> Luis, I need some feedback here. <laughs> yeah, how'd that treat you, Dahlia? Mmm, It's way more pathetic. Mmm, mmm, Is that pathetic enough? Did I? Have I plumbed the depths? Uh, this this is a fun exercise called Sam intentionally misreading voice notes. <laughs> Gems, how could you possibly feel bad for any guests tonight? Thanks for killing me before the stream, says Dahlia. You're very welcome. You found you you found me searching around Twitch. Hold on, Abbers. That means you're <laughs> that means you're in the rough neighborhood, doesn't it, Abbers? Don't scroll up. I'm in the just chatting category. Don't scroll up, Abbers. Don't scroll up. Your mom will catch you. <laughs> you do not want anyone catching you scrolling through the just chatting category up at the top levels. All right, so be careful. Be careful out there, gang. I recognize I have I have labeled myself in dangerous territory, but I'm undercover. Shh, 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 shh. everyone, shh, 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 shh. be quiet. Don't tell the hot tub streamers I'm here. Shh. What, what, what if I did? What if I did one? But it's just me in my normal attire. As a matter of fact, I'll get more dressed up. I'm gonna put up. I'll put on a tie and a jacket, and then I'll sit here in just like a green, just against a green screen. <laughs> Hot tub with a cardigan, yes. <laughs> Let's start a whole new category. You know, there's like the there's the in vogue right now, which is the hot tub streamers, but what about cardigan streamers, huh? Why not cardigan streamers? Hey, Twitch. Hey, tweet it, Twitch. What about cardigan streamers? Hippie, my week was pretty good. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Um, I am, as y'all are likely able to perceive, I'm I am slowly clawing my way back out of the funk, back out of that funk I was in uh, during most of quarantine. If I'm honest, um, you know the the sort of like the lifestyle of it wasn't terrible, except for the part where I don't know, just like all of the because it, it wasn't like I was like spending like four days a week with other people, but those those two or three days every week two, three, four, sometimes, those were definitely important to me, and so I'm coming back from it, which is why you're getting this deep cardigan energy. <laughs> you know, the voice of every cardigan. Did y'all know that Mr. Rogers did his entire show in a cardigan made out of Macho Man Randy Savage? They skinned him and made him into a cardigan. All right. I will. <laughs> hey, won't you be my neighbor? Uh, Orly Rose says, I don't know what Sam had for a snack, but I need some of whatever it is. Well, here's what it is. Uh, first of all, 
as I mentioned, I'm less depressed than I was for the past few months. And it's been, it's been like a slow incline. It hasn't just been like this week, I'm out of it. Um, it's been a slow incline, but, but if you're wondering about my actual snack, I just had lunch a little bit ago, but I made myself teriyaki. I made some, some, uh, teriyaki sauce because, uh, Cass went ahead and I think took it to, took it to her work with her. <laughs> our special stuff so look i don't know how it's gonna treat my keto tip but we'll see we'll see i of course have been doing my normal stuff certainly every week we have never run out of things to talk about and the hobbit has been an awesome opportunity to test out some new voices to do some more with the uh, voice changer it's been a ton of fun on wednesdays of course we have got the after y'all we just broke into chapter five we, we did it, episode five was yesterday, um, which means we've got three episodes left. Uh, we have a new guest. Uh, of course, we've had a fantastic run so far. We had actor clown uh, slash Jeff. He was absolutely fantastic. He really got us set up well for that. Um, we had bees in and they were fantastic as well. I think many of y'all would agree. Um, they were really able to like get us into the, the enormous action of being out in the world. And now, now we're dealing with what it's like to to be a, a little while in, to have some time pass between the apocalypse and you. The apocalypse and you. Now streaming on, <laughs> on the Hallmark channel. Um, I think it has just been a fantastic series so far. And now we have a friend of mine, Lara Doner. Um, she is a fantastic performer and just all around classy. I think y'all can probably agree, but go check those out. <laughs> Dahlia is a big Lara fan, uh, which is cool because so am I. Um, check them out on Twitch, check them out on YouTube. Um, and I would love to see what you think. There are going to be chapter markers on all of that. So you should, if you don't want to see any of the setup portion of it, you can just skip straight into this first scene. Shotzi says, I've been following on YouTube at work. I'm so mad how they are towards Tyson. Yeah. Yeah, and I think with that, it's probably a good jumping off point to head into our review. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. I almost missed it. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. We've, of course, met Tyson already, um, and we are back at camp. But we're learning that just as... The world wasn't quite what Percy was expecting. He wasn't expecting to have a pretty clear year and then suddenly be attacked at the very end. He wasn't expecting um, that his friend Tyson might actually be sufficiently involved in the mythical world that he'll actually fit in okay at camp, at least theoretically, if it weren't for all of the people at camp. What does all this mean? Chapter 4, Tyson plays with fire. We begin um, having just arrived at camp, and things are not going well. The camp is under attack, and Clarice from the Ares cabin is kind of doing what she can to, well, to, to, to fend off these two enormous metal bulls that are attacking. And as they arrive, they do battle with the bulls. Seems like that goes down okay, especially with Tyson's help. He just smashes one to bits, essentially. And they end up over the hill. But the hill itself is even different, um, especially Talia's tree. If you all remember, Talia is Zeus's daughter turned into a tree, and it's sick. It even looks like it's probably dying. It has been poisoned, and although there are some theories as to who was responsible, no one is entirely sure. Um, 
In chapter 5, I get a new cabin mate, we find that uh, things are very different here at camp, alright? First and foremost, Chiron is gone. He has been fired, and he's on his way out as Percy arrives. Uh, he's going to go spend some time, I believe it was said he's going to spend some time in the Everglades, where he's got some family down there, right? And... This is because they think he might be somehow related to what happened with Talia's tree. Who they is is not entirely clear, I'm going to be honest, but um, Dionysus had to sort of lay it on somebody. <clears throat> That's my thoughts on that. Anyway, the, the situation is not great, and it gets even worse when we find out that there is a new activities director, uh, Tantalus. And Tantalus is... Well, he's kind of a grimy old like jerk frankly he's a grimy old jerk um he is uh from 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 a myth that i'm not going to go into right now suffice to say he's not allowed to eat or drink anything and at the camp here uh he is kind of the new one in charge they are restarting the the chariot races and this is roundabout when uh, during all these discoveries, all these announcements and such. This is roundabout when they decide, what are we going to do with Tyson? They are saying it in some some really cruel terms, frankly, but um, very shortly, Tyson is claimed by none other than Poseidon. Turns out, Tyson and Percy are kind of half-brothers? Tyson is not just a... Um, a, a friend of Percy's that lives uh, on the streets in New York. Actually, uh, Tyson is a Cyclops, a very young Cyclops, like seven or eight years old by Cyclops standards. Um, or I guess that would be by, by human standards. Anyway, um, he has one eye, but it's a little hard to see with the, with the mist that affects people, so people haven't really noticed. Um, but this seems to be not uncommon. It seems like there are Cyclopes around. Um, many of them live sort of, well, homeless like uh, like Tyson has been because they are not claimed and they are not really accepted into many cultures. Um, it's a bad situation for them all around. So, Percy and Tyson are now cabin mates. And finally, in Chapter 6, Demon Pigeons Attack, we have our very first... Um, uh, our very first, well, our very first chariot race and our very first attack here inside the camp. Um, all of these birds show up and attack during this chariot race that ends up uh, ends up going straight to heck. Um, all these pigeons attack, people are getting injured. Finally, Percy and uh, Annabeth and to some degree Clarice as well, they're all sort of, you know, fighting these things off. And when the dust settles, they've managed to defend the camp from them. But Tantalus praises Clarice and punishes Percy and Annabeth. How? Well, we'll have to see in just a moment here. Finally, um, throughout all of this, Percy has been having some, some dream issues. He is seeing visions of Grover, even communicating with Grover somewhat over the, over, over the sort of dream messaging system. It's an empathy link between the two of them. Um, but Grover's in a lot of trouble. Percy thinks he knows where to find Grover, and he intends to do so the moment he has the chance to. Um, and I think that's around about where we're at. It's a lot of information, I recognize. You know, we've had a 
busy few chapters recently. But now I think it is well time for us to get into our next two chapters. That's right, we're back to two tonight. You punks, you runk puffians. Sorry, just had to turn off the AC. All right, punks, y'all ready for a couple of chapters? Because I think I am. Once again, everyone, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories, and if you would like to learn more about my streams, I stream Tuesday through Thursday. We're streaming The Hobbit and RPGs and Percy Jackson right now. You can find that link in the description box if you're watching this on YouTube. Let's go. Chapter 7. I accept gifts from a stranger. The way Tantalus saw it, the Stymphalian birds had simply been minding their own business in the woods and would not have attacked if Annabeth Tyson and I hadn't disturbed them with our bad chariot driving. This was so completely unfair, I told Tantalus to go chase a donut, which didn't help his mood. He sentenced us to kitchen patrol scrubbing pots and platters and pans all afternoon in the underground kitchen with the cleaning harpies. The harpies washed with lava instead of water to get that extra clean sparkle and kill 99.9% .9 of all germs, so Annabeth and I had to wear asbestos gloves and aprons. Tyson didn't mind. He plunged his bare hands right in and started scrubbing, but Annabeth and I had to suffer through hours of hot, dangerous work, especially since there were tons of extra plates. Tantalus had ordered a special luncheon banquet to celebrate Clarice's chariot victory. A full-course meal featuring country-fried Stymphalian Deathbird. The only good thing about our punishment was that it gave Annabeth and me a common enemy, and lots of time to talk. After listening to my dream about Grover again, she looked like she might be starting to believe me. If, if he's really found it she murmured. And if we could retrieve it. Okay, hold on, I said. You act like this whatever it is that Grover found is the only thing in the world that could save the camp. What is it? Well, I'll give you a hint. What do you get when you skin a ram? Messy, she sighed. A fleece. The coat of a ram is called a fleece, and if that ram happens to have golden wool... The Golden Fleece? Are, are you serious? Annabeth scraped a plateful of deathbird bones into the lava. Percy, remember the Grey Sisters? They said that they knew the location of the thing that you seek, and they mentioned Jason. Three thousand years ago, they told him how to find the Golden Fleece. You do know the story of Jason and the Argonauts? Yeah, I said. That old movie with the clay skeletons? Annabeth rolled her eyes. Oh, my gods. Percy, you are so hopeless. What? I demanded. Just listen. The real story of the fleece. There were these two children of Zeus, Cadmus and Europa, okay? They were about to get offered up as human sacrifices when they prayed to Zeus to save them. So Zeus sent this magical flying ram with golden wool, which picked them up in Greece and carried them all the way to Colchis in Asia Minor. Well, actually, it carried Cadmus. Europa fell off and died along the way. But that's not important. Well, I mean, it's probably important to her. The point is, when Cadmus got to Colchis, he sacrificed the golden ram to the gods and hung the fleece in a tree in the middle of the kingdom. 
the fleece brought prosperity to the land. Animals stopped getting sick, plants grew better, farmers had bumper crops. Plagues never visited, that's why Jason wanted the fleece. It can revitalize any land where it's placed. It cures sickness, strengthens nature, cleans up pollution. It could cure Talia's tree. Annabeth nodded. And it would totally strengthen the borders of Camp Half-Blood. But Percy, the fleece has been missing for centuries. Tons of heroes have searched for it with no luck. Well, but, but Grover found it, I said. He went looking for Pan, and he found the fleece instead, because they both radiate nature magic. It makes sense, Annabeth. We can rescue him and save the camp at the same time. It's perfect. Annabeth hesitated. A little too perfect, don't you think? What if it's a trap? I remembered last summer how Kronos had manipulated our quest. He had almost fooled us into helping him start a war that would have destroyed Western civilization. Well, what choice do we have? I asked. Are you going to help me rescue Grover or not? She glanced at Tyson, who had lost interest in our conversation, was happily making toy boats out of cups and spoons in the lava. Percy, she said under her breath, we'll have to fight a cyclops. Polyphemus, the worst of the cyclopes, and there's only one place this island could be. The Sea of Monsters. Okay, where's that? She stared at me like she thought I was playing dumb. This sea of monsters? The same sea Odysseus sailed through, and Jason, and Ionos, and all the others. You mean the Mediterranean? No. Well, yes, but no. Okay, cool, another straight answer. Thanks. Look, Percy, the sea of monsters is the sea all heroes sailed through on their adventures. It used to be in the Mediterranean, yes, but like everything else, it shifts locations as the West's center of power shifts. Okay, like Mount Olympus being above the Empire State Building, I said, and Hades being under Los Angeles. Right. But a whole sea full of monsters, how could you hide something like that? Wouldn't the mortals notice weird things happening, like ships getting eaten and stuff? Of course they notice. They don't understand, but they know something is strange about that part of the ocean. The Sea of Monsters is off the east coast of the U.S. now, just northeast of Florida. The mortals even have their own name for it. The, the Bermuda Triangle. Exactly. I let that sink in. I guess it wasn't stranger than anything else I'd learned since coming to Camp Half-Blood. Okay. Well, so at least we know where to look. It's still a huge area, Percy. Searching for one tiny island in monster-infested waters. Hey, I'm the son of a sea god. This is my home turf. How hard can it be? Annabeth knit her eyebrows. We'll have to talk to Tantalus. Get approval for a quest. He'll say no. Well, not if we tell him tonight at the campfire in front of everybody. The whole camp is going to hear. They'll pressure him. He's not going to be able to refuse. Maybe. A little bit of hope crept into Annabeth's voice. We'd better get these dishes done. Hand me that lava spray gun, will you? That night at the campfire, Apollo's cabin led the sing-along. 
They tried to get everybody's spirits up, but it wasn't easy after that afternoon's bird attack. They all sat around a semicircle of stone steps, singing half-heartedly and watching the bonfire blaze while the Apollo guys strummed their guitars and picked their lyres. We all did the standard camp numbers. Down by the age in, I am my own great-great-great-great-grandpa, this land is Minos land. The bonfire was enchanted, so the louder you sang, the higher it rose, changing color and heat with the mood of the crowd. On a good night, I'd seen it twenty feet high, bright purple, and so hot the whole front row's marshmallows burst into flames. Tonight, the fire was only five feet high, barely warm, and the flames were the color of lint. Dionysus left early. After suffering through a few songs, he muttered something about how even Pinochle with Chiron had been more exciting than this. Then he gave Tantalus a distasteful look and headed back toward the big house. When the last song was over, Tantalus said, Well, that was lovely. He came forward with a toasted marshmallow on a stick and tried to pluck it off, real casual-like. But before he could touch it, the marshmallow flew off the stick. Tantalus made a wild grab, but the marshmallow leapt into the flames. Tantalus turned back toward us, smiling coldly. Now then, some announcement about tomorrow's schedule. Hey, sir, I said. Tantalus's eye twitched. Our kitchen boy has something to say. Some of the area's campers snickered, but I wasn't going to let anyone embarrass me into silence. I stood and looked at Annabeth. Thank the gods she stood up with me. I said, We have an idea to save the camp. Dead silence. But I could tell I'd gotten everyone's interest because the campfire flared bright yellow. Indeed, Tantalus said blandly. Well, if it's got anything to do with chariots... The Golden Fleece, I said. I know where it is. The flames burned orange. Before Tantalus could stop me, I blurted out my dream about Grover and Polyphemus's island. Annabeth stepped in and reminded everyone what the fleece could do. It sounded more convincing coming from her. The fleece can save the camp, she concluded. I'm certain of it. Nonsense, said Tantalus. We don't need saving. Everyone stared at him until Tantalus started looking uncomfortable. Besides, he added quickly, the Sea of Monsters, it's hardly an exact location. You wouldn't even know where to look. Yes, I would, I said. Annabeth leaned toward me and whispered, You would? I nodded, because Annabeth had jogged something in my memory when she reminded me about our taxi drive with the Grey Sisters. At the time, the information they'd given me made no sense, but now... Thirty, thirty-one, seventy-five, twelve. Okay, Tantalus said. Thank you for sharing those meaningless numbers. They're sailing coordinates, I said. Longitude and latitude. I uh, learned about it in social studies. Even Annabeth looked impressed. 30 degrees, 31 minutes north, 75 degrees, 12 minutes west. He's right. The Grey Sisters gave us those coordinates. They'd be somewhere in the Atlantic, off the coast of Florida. 
the sea of monsters. We need a quest. Now, wait just a minute, Dantilus said, but the campers took up the chant. We need a quest. We need a quest. We need a quest. The flames rose higher. This isn't necessary, Tantalus insisted. We need a quest! We need a quest! Fine! Tantalus shouted, his eyes blazing with anger. You brats want me to assign a quest? Yes! Very well, he agreed. I shall authorize a champion to undertake this perilous journey to retrieve the golden fleece and bring it back to camp. Or die trying. My heart filled with excitement. I wasn't going to let Tantalus scare me. This is what I needed to do. I was going to save Grover and the camp. Nothing would stop me. I will allow our champion to consult the Oracle, Tantalus announced, and choose two companions for the journey. And I think the choice of champions is obvious. Tantalus looked at Annabeth and me as if he wanted to flay us alive. The champion should be one who has earned the camp's respect, who's proven resourceful in the chariot races and courageous in the defense of the camp. You shall lead this quest, Clarice. The fire flickered a thousand different colors. The Ares cabin started stomping and cheering. Clarice! 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 Clarice stood up, looking stunned. Then she swallowed, and her chest swelled with pride. I... I accept the quest. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, I shouted. Grover's my friend. The dream came to me. Hey, sit down, yelled one of the Ares campers. You had your chance last summer. Yeah, he just wants to be in the spotlight again, another said. Clarice glared at me. I accept the quest, she repeated. I, Clarice, daughter of Ares, will save the camp. The Ares campers cheered even louder. Annabeth protested and the other Athena campers joined in. Everyone else started taking sides, shouting and arguing and throwing marshmallows. I thought it was going to turn into a full-fledged s'mores war until Tantalus shouted, Silence, you brats! His tone stunned even me. Sit down, he ordered. And I'll tell you a ghost story. I didn't know what he was up to, but we all moved reluctantly back to our seats. The evil aura radiating from Tantalus was as strong as any monster I'd ever faced. Once upon a time... There was a mortal king who was beloved of the gods. Tantalus put his hand on his chest, and I got the feeling he was talking about himself. The king, he said, was even allowed to feast on Mount Olympus. But when he tried to take some ambrosia and nectar back to earth to figure out the recipe, just one little doggy bag, mind you, the gods punished him. They banned him from their holes forever. His own people mocked him, his children scolded him, and, oh, yes, campers, he had horrible children. Children just like you. 
He pointed a crooked finger at several people in the audience, including me. Do you know what he did to his ungrateful children? Tantalus asked softly. Do you know how he paid back the gods for their cruel punishment? He invited the Olympians to a feast at his palace, just to show there were no hard feelings. No one noticed that his children were missing, and when he served their gods dinner, my dear campers, can you guess what was in the stew? No one dared answer. The firelight glowed blue, reflecting evilly on Tantalus's crooked face. Oh, the gods punished him in the afterlife, Tantalus croaked. They did indeed. But he'd had his moment of satisfaction, hadn't he? His children never again spoke back to him or questioned his authority. And do you know what? Rumor has it that the king's spirit now dwells at this very camp, waiting for a chance to take revenge on ungrateful, rebellious children. And so, are there any more complaints before we send Clarice off on her quest? Silence. Tantalus nodded at Clarice. The Oracle, my dear. Go on. She shifted uncomfortably, like even she didn't want glory at the price of being Tantalus's pet. Sir, go! He snarled. She bowed awkwardly and hurried off toward the big house. Now what about you, Percy Jackson? Tantalus asked. No comments from our dishwasher. I didn't say anything. I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of punishing me again. Good. And let me remind everyone, no one leaves this camp without my permission. Anyone who tries, well, if they survive the attempt, they'll be expelled forever. But it won't come to that. The harpies are enforcing curfew from now on, and they are always hungry. Good night, my dear campers. Sleep well. With a wave of Tantalus's hand, the fire was extinguished, and the campers trailed off toward their cabins in the dark. I couldn't explain things to Tyson. He knew I was sad. He knew I wanted to go on a trip, and Tantalus wouldn't let me. You will go anyway? He asked. I don't know, I admitted. It's gonna be hard. Very hard. I will help. No, I, I couldn't ask you to do that, big guy. Too dangerous. Tyson looked down at the pieces of metal he was assembling in his lap. Springs and gears and tiny wires. Beckendorf had given him some tools and spare parts, and now Tyson spent every night tinkering, though I wasn't sure how his huge hands could handle such delicate little pieces. 
What are you building? I asked. Tyson didn't answer. Instead, he made a whimpering sound in the back of his throat. Hmm. Annabeth doesn't like Cyclops. You, hmm, don't want me along. Duh, that's, that's not it, I said half-heartedly. Annabeth likes you, really. He had tears in the corner of his eye. I remembered that Grover, like all satyrs, could read human emotions. I wondered if Cyclops had the same ability. Tyson folded up his tinkering project in an oilcloth. He lay down in his bunk bed and hugged his bundle like a teddy bear. When he turned toward the wall, I could see the weird scars on his back, like someone had plowed over him with a tractor. I wondered for the millionth time how he'd gotten hurt. Daddy always cared for me, he sniffled. Now, I think he was mean to have a Cyclops boy. I should not have been born. Don't talk that way. Poseidon claimed you, didn't he? So... He must care about you. A lot. My voice trailed off as I thought about all of those years Tyson had lived in the streets of New York in a cardboard refrigerator box. How could Tyson think that Poseidon had cared for him? What kind of dad let that happen to his kid, even if his kid was a monster? Tyson, camp will be a good home for you. The others, they'll get used to you, I promise. Tyson sighed. I waited for him to say something, and then I realized he was already asleep. I lay on my bed and tried to close my eyes, but I just couldn't. I was afraid I might have another dream about Grover. If the empathy link was real, if something happened to Grover, would I ever wake up? The full moon shone through my window. The sound of the surf rumbled in the distance. I could smell the warm scent of the strawberry fields and hear the laughter of the dryads as they chased owls through the forest. But something felt wrong about that night. The sickness of Talia's tree spreading across the valley. Could Clarice save Half-Blood Hill? I thought the odds were better of me getting a Best Camper Award from Tantalus. I got out of bed and pulled on some clothes. I grabbed a beach blanket and a six-pack of Coke from under my bunk. The Cokes were against the rules. No outside snacks or drinks were allowed. But if you talked to the right guy in Hermes' cabin and paid him a few golden drachma, he could smuggle in almost anything from the nearest convenience store. Sneaking out after curfew was against the rules, too. If I'd gotten caught, I'd either be in big trouble or eaten by harpies. But I wanted to see the ocean. I'd always felt better there. My thoughts were clearer. I left the cabin and headed for the beach.
I spread my blanket near the surf and popped open a Coke. For some reason, sugar and caffeine always calmed down my hyperactive brain. I tried to decide what to do to save the camp, but nothing came to mind. I wished Poseidon would talk to me, give me some advice or something. The sky was clear and starry. I was checking out the constellations Annabeth had taught me, Sagittarius, Hercules, Corona Borealis, when somebody said, Beautiful, aren't they? I almost spewed soda. Standing right next to me was a guy in nylon running shorts and a New York City Marathon t-shirt. He was slim and fit, with salt and pepper hair and a sly smile. He looked kind of familiar, but I couldn't figure out why. My first thought was he must have been taking a midnight jog down the beach and strayed inside the camp borders. But that wasn't supposed to happen. Regular mortals couldn't enter the valley. Maybe with the tree's magic weakening, he'd managed to slip in. But in the middle of the night? And there was nothing around except farmland and state preserves. Where would this guy have jogged from? Hey, can I join you? He asked. I haven't sat down in ages. Now, I know, strange guy in the middle of the night, common sense. I was supposed to run away, yell for help etc. But the guy acted so calm about the whole thing, I found it hard to be afraid. I said, Uh, sure. He smiled. Your hospitality does he credit. Oh, and Coca-Cola. May I? He sat at the other end of the blanket, popped a soda, and took a drink. Ah, yes, that hits the spot. Peace and quiet at a cell phone went off in his pocket. The jogger sighed. He pulled out his phone, and my eyes got big because it glowed with a bluish light. When he extended the antenna, two creatures began writhing around it. Green snakes, no bigger than earthworms. The jogger didn't seem to notice. He checked his LCD display and cursed. Oh, I've got to take this. Just a second. Then into his phone. Hello? He listened. The mini snakes writhed up and down the antenna next to his ear. Yep, 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 the jogger said. Listen, I know, but uh, I don't care if he's chained to a rock with vultures pecking out his liver. If he doesn't have a tracking number, we can't locate his package. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, a gift to humankind, great. Yeah, you know how many of those we deliver? That, never mind. Listen, just refer him to Eris in the customer service. I gotta go. He hung up. <laughs> uh, sorry, the Overnight Express business is just booming. Now, as I was saying, you got snakes on your phone. What? Oh, yeah, they don't bite. Say hello, George and Martha. Hello, George and Martha, said a raspy male voice inside my head. Don't be sarcastic, said a female voice. Why not? George demanded. I do all the real work. Oh, let's not get into that again. The jogger slipped his phone back into his pocket. Now, where were we? Oh, yes, peace and quiet. He crossed his ankles and stared up at the stars. It has been a long time since I've gotten to relax. Ever since the telegraph, rush, 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 rush. You got a favorite constellation, Percy? 
I was still kind of wondering about the little green snakes he'd shoved into his jogging shorts, but I said, Um, I like Hercules. Why? Because he had rotten luck. Even worse than mine. It makes me feel better. The jogger chuckled. (laughs) Not because he was strong and famous and all that. No. You are an interesting young man. So, what now? I knew immediately what he was asking. What did I intend to do about the fleece? Before I could answer, Martha the Snake's muffled voice came from his pocket. I have to meet her online, too. Not now, the jogger said. Tell her to uh, leave a message. She's not going to like that. The last time you put her off, all the flowers in the floral delivery division wilted. Just tell her I'm in a meeting. The jogger rolled his eyes. Sorry again, Percy, you were saying... Um, hey, who are you exactly? You haven't guessed by now? Smart boy like yourself? Show him, Martha pleaded. I haven't been full size for months. Don't listen to her, George said. She just wants to show off. The man took out his phone again. Uh, original form, please. The phone glowed a brilliant blue. It stretched into a three-foot-long wooden staff with dove wings sprouting out of the top. George and Martha, now full-sized green snakes, coiled together around the middle. It was a caduceus, the symbol of Cabin Eleven. My throat tightened. I realized who the jogger reminded me of with his elfish features, his mischievous twinkle in the eye. You, you're Luke's father, I said. Armies. The god pursed his lips. He stuck his caduceus in the sand like an umbrella pole. Luke's father. Yeah, well, normally that's not the way people introduce me. God of thieves, yes. God of messengers and travelers, if they wish to be kind. God of thieves works, George said. Oh, don't mind. George, Martha flicked her tongue at me. He's just bitter because Hermes likes me best. He does not. Does too. Behave, you two, Hermes warned. Or I'll turn you back into a cell phone and set you on vibrate. Now, Percy, you still haven't answered my question. What do you intend to do about the quest? I... I don't have permission to go. (laughs) Uh, No, indeed. Will that stop you? I want to go. I want to save Grover. Hmm. Hermes smiled. I knew a boy once. Oh, younger than you by far. Uh, A mere baby, really. Here we go again, George said. Always talking about himself. Quiet. Martha snapped. Do you want to get set on vibrate? Hermes ignored them. One night, when this boy's mother wasn't watching, he sneaked out of his cave and stole some cattle that belonged to Apollo. Did he get blasted into tiny pieces? I asked. "Mm, uh, No, actually, everything turned out quite well. 
To make up for his theft, the boy gave Apollo an instrument he had invented, a lyre. Apollo was so enchanted with the music that he forgot all about being angry. So what's the moral? <laughs> the moral, Hermes said. Goodness, you act like it's a fable. It's a true story. Does truth have a moral? Um... Yeah, how about this? Stealing is not always bad. I don't think my mom would like that moral. Rats are delicious, suggested George. What does that have to do with the story? Martha demanded. Nothing, George said. But I'm hungry. I've got it. Hermes said. Young people don't always do what they're told, but if they can pull it off and do something wonderful, sometimes they escape punishment. How's that one? You're saying that I should go anyway, I said. Even without permission. Hermes's eyes twinkled. Martha, may I have the first package, please? Martha opened her mouth and kept opening it until it was as wide as my arm. She belched out a stainless steel canister, an old-fashioned lunchbox thermos with a black plastic top. The sides of the thermos were enameled with red and yellow ancient Greek scenes. A hero killing a lion, a hero lifting up Cerberus, the three-headed dog. That's... Okay, that's Hercules, I said. But how... Never question a gift, Hermes chided. This is a collector's item from the Hercules Bust's Heads, first season. Hercules busts heads? Great show, Hermes sighed. Back before Hephaestus TV was all reality programming, of course, the thermos would be much more if I had the whole lunchbox set. Or if it hadn't been in Martha's mouth, George added. I'll get that for you. Martha began chasing him around the caduceus. Wait a minute, I said. This is a gift? Uh, one of two, Hermes said. Go on, pick it up. I almost dropped it because it was freezing cold on one side and burning hot on the other. The weird thing was, when I turned the thermos, the side facing the ocean, north, was always the cold side. It's... it's a compass, I said. Hermes looked surprised. Huh. Very clever. I never thought of it like that, but its intended use is a bit more dramatic. Uh, uncap it, and you will release the winds from the four corners of the earth to speed you on your way. Not now. And please, when the time comes, only unscrew the lid a tiny bit. The winds are a bit like me, always restless. Should all four escape at once? Mm, yeah, I'm sure you'll be careful. And now, my second gift. George? She's touching me, George complained as he and Martha slithered around the pole. She's always touching you, Hermes said. You're intertwined, and if you don't stop that, you'll get knotted again. The snakes stopped wrestling. George unhinged his jaw and coughed up a little plastic bottle filled with chewable vitamins. You're kidding, I said. Are these minotaur-shaped? Hermes picked up the bottle and rattled it. The lemon ones, yes. The grape ones are furies, I think, or are they hydras? At any rate, they are potent. Do not take one unless you are really, really in need of it. 
How am I gonna know if I'm really, really in need of it? <laughs> You'll know, trust me. Nine essential vitamins, minerals, amino acids, everything you need to feel yourself again. He tossed me the bottle. Um, thanks, I said. Lord Hermes, why are you helping me? He gave me a melancholy smile. Hmm, well, perhaps because I hope that you can save many people on this quest, Percy. Not just your friend Grover. I stared at him. You don't mean Luke. Hermes didn't answer. Look, I said, Lord Hermes, I mean thanks and everything, but you might as well take back your gifts. Luke can't be saved. Even if I could find him, he told me he wanted to tear down Olympus stone by stone. He betrayed everybody that he knew. He, he hates you especially. Hermes gazed up at the stars. My dear young cousin, if there's one thing I've learned from the eons, it's that you can't give up on your family. No matter how tempting they make it, it doesn't matter if they hate you or embarrass you or simply don't appreciate your genius for inventing the internet. You invented the internet? It was my idea, Martha said. Rats are delicious, George said. It was my idea, Hermes said. I mean, the internet, not the rats. But that's not the point. Percy, do you understand what I'm saying to you about family? I'm not sure. Well, you will someday. Hermes got up and brushed the sand off his legs. In the meantime, I must be going. You have sixty calls to return, Martha said. And one thousand thirty-eight emails, George added. Not counting the offers for online discount ambrosia. And you, Percy, Hermes said. You've got a shorter deadline than you realize to complete your quest. Your friends should be coming right about now. I heard Annabeth's voice calling my name from the sand dunes. Tyson, too, was shouting a little bit further away. I hope I packed well for you, Hermes said. I do have some experience with travel. He snapped his fingers, and three yellow duffel bags appeared at my feet. Waterproof, of course, and if you ask nicely, your father should help you reach the ship. Ship? Hermes pointed. Sure enough, a big cruise ship was cutting across Long Island Sound, its white and gold lights glowing against the dark water. Okay, wait, I said. I don't understand any of this. I haven't even agreed to go. Well, I'd make up your mind if I were you in the next mm, five minutes, Hermes advised. That's when the harpies are going to come and eat you. Now, good night, cousin, and dare I say it, may the gods go with you. He opened his hands and the caduceus flew into it. Good luck, Martha told me. Bring me back a rat, George said. The caduceus changed into a cell phone, and Hermes slipped it into his pocket. He jogged off down the beach. Twenty paces away, he shimmered and vanished, leaving me alone with a thermos, a bottle of chewable vitamins, and five minutes to make an impossible decision.
Well, folks, that is the end of our chapter. It was a long one, wasn't it? Right? We ended up with a... <laughs> with a sizable first chapter. The second chapter for today is not quite as long. <laughs> I'm glad, glad you enjoyed. I always wonder, I'm actually going to take a, I'm going to take a poll about this at some point later on, because I'm very curious how many folks actually watch, because that was a very visual gag that just happened. Sorry, everyone. Oh boy, oh boy. Memnite says, not long at all. I think we're going to need three. <laughs> Unfortunately not, Memnite. And as per usual, I remain... Indefatigable. That's right. That's right. I did it to you. Good luck, everyone. Um, Courier6 says, I truly love Hermes. He's so very American Gods vibes. I do as well. I think Hermes was a... Hermes is a fun one, and um, I'm looking forward to spending more time with Hermes later on. Um, it reminds me of a story that I had heard from uh, Bill Burr, who's a, he's a comedian and he does a podcast, but at the end of the day, he talks about how... about how... On his podcast, he he does ad reads, right? And as he as he's reading these ads, he is so his voice is very droll, um, and so it always sounds like he's making fun of or mocking in some way the ads that he's reading. And he's not. He says this is just the way that he talks. Um, but I kind of wanted to build a little bit of that in with Hermes, like being the god of thieves. I kind of went like somewhere between like an auctioneer and a con man, um, and I kind of like how it landed. I'm cool with it. I'm trying to connect that back in. Um, but uh, Dahlia says, Bill Burr is an interesting comic for sure. I don't really know much about him. I just, he was on, let's see, I just heard like a little sound clip of that. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard like a full stand-up routine of his. So I don't know what he's all about. Don't at me. I'm sorry. I truly do not know. Um, the harpy, uh, Tanisha says, uh, that's when the harpies come and eat you. Yep, indeed. And so I do wonder a little bit, right? Because this is something that I don't remember from... I don't remember from my earlier reading of this series. Is this an ability that... <laughs> that was a pretty rank noise, wasn't it? <laughs> it was the sound of my, my, uh, my cord falling off of my desk like a slinky. There we go. <laughs> um... Yeah, I do wonder, does Hermes have some sort of ability to tell the future, or is he just good at predictions, or does he just know, like, you know what, I kind of know how the camp works, this is, this is what I'm, this is, you know, my prediction for you, be careful, harpies, they on they way. Jem said this night is one to be remembered. <laughs> Why is that? What's going on? Hmm, very suspicious. Courier6 over in Discord says, I feel like Tantalus is more, this is why we don't give Filch power and authority, than Umbridgey. That's interesting. Um, I would like to sort of talk about the idea of the, the villain of unfairness. I want to take a second to talk about that, um, and I think it might work better to do it after the break, because frankly, I am, I'm a little dried out here. It sounds like... <laughs> It sounds like there's there is indeed some wild stuff happening in chat, but I didn't see I didn't see what it was. I didn't see I didn't see like what was going so wonky here. Let me let me dig back in a little bit. What's happening? Xenosaga talking about Greek monster gummies actually existing, and can we get supplemental bad gummies segment with bad beans? Bad gummies. Bad gummies are just sort of they are uh let's see, what would we call them? 
herbal gummies. <laughs> I've got, I, every night I start with just a sort of a Russian roulette of gummies, and most of them are just regular old gummy bears, but one of them, one of them is very powerfully herbal. <laughs> Lisa says, hey, I hear you remember to turn the AC on. See, I knew it. I knew you could hear it. I knew you could hear it. You tried to deceive me. Being happy goofballs. I'm glad you're being happy goofballs. I am very glad about it. Okay, now, everyone, everyone, I hope you're doing well. We are going to come back and talk about this in just a moment. Not herbal gummies. Although it sounds like I've, I've got Hogwarts Hippie's attention. Not herbal gummies, uh, even though, yes, I do think gummy roulette would be an interesting segment. Maybe not on this one, but <laughs> but uh, hey, maybe in the future. Um, I never, never once have I tried that, uh, that particular herbal um, hobby. Not one time, some of y'all might be surprised to know. I know, with hair like this, how could you? Anyway, we are going to take a quick five-minute break. I'm going to come back. But in the meantime, our Cheddar Break question is the villain of unfairness. I want to talk about that and kind of the part that it plays in this genre of literature, right? I want to talk about um, not just fantasy necessarily, but the young adult genre. And it looks like Courier 6 has already gotten a head start. I want to talk about that. So, Chatterbrick question is basically just your thoughts on this idea of this, this, this archetype of the villain of unfairness in young adult literature. There we go. I'll see you back in five minutes, right? I will indeed. The, the timer will be up on screen, and then we're going to talk about it. We're going to read a second chapter. It's going to be great. I will see you all then. Adios, muchachos. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Trash in the Camp. Trash in the Stream. <laughs> Welcome back to Trash in the Stream by Chaboy. Ooh, yeah. Gertie, I mean, you kind of you kind of got to always want to watch Tarzan, but that's a pretty good one. I think the, um, oh, what's that fool's name? What's that boy's name? He's got a whole big collection of Alamo memorabilia. It's not Neil Peart, it's the other one from that era. <laughs> this is very bad. Who did the music for that? Okay, I, I feel like I have to illuminate something just about how my, my brain works. I used to be able to make name pulls, right? Uh, Phil Collins, thank you, Gertie. For whatever reason, I've encountered, like, th this, is, this has become such a significant part of my mental function. It's not just something that has happened a couple of times. This happens very consistently. For whatever reason, it's almost like a mental hitch. I have to imagine, although I, I do not have any personal experience with this, it must be a little bit like a speech impediment almost, wherein are certain versions thereof. When I am trying to pull a name, I'll have the name until I need to say it, and then it will disappear and I won't be able to find it. So Phil Collins was one of those. I had the name, I could see his face in my head, and I, I had the name attached to it, and then the moment I needed to actually say it, it disappeared from from my mind and I can't find it again. The really disappointing thing is it happens the most often when I'm trying to tell it as part of a part of a punchline to something. Uh, that is when it really really gets me. And it seems like it is specifically that. I can find movie titles okay, um, but y'all have seen it too many times at this point and like Phil Collins like it is such a such, such an obvious 
pull, right? That should not be a hard one to, to hunt through the drawers for, um, as I think uh, Memnite has very gently let me know. Um, no, for real, though, like, it shouldn't be that tough. <laughs> and yet, here we are. So I do think it's some sort of, like, odd neurological thing going on. I've got no idea what on earth it could be. Okay, now, everyone... We have a discussion going, don't we? Holy crud. Courier6 over in Discord has plenty to say about the villain of unfairness. Um, I want to give everyone a chance here, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to hit all of it over there, Courier6. But if y'all are not in the Discord right now, over in uh, the description box, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll be able to find the links over to the Discord. And of course, we have three different channels dedicated to Percy Jackson, one of which is currently Courier6's like, soapbox, which is great. I love when y'all have a lot to say about this. Courier6 says, well, geez, the villain of unfairness applies to a lot of Hogwarts staff characters. I think it's a common thread in young adult uh, in YA that gets ignored a lot in non-YA fiction. That adults will presume that the kid characters are doing bad things with shaky or no evidence. And not think that they have to look into it because they're the adult. But Tantalus never presents his unfairness in a way that isn't very clearly unfair. He's glorying in how unfair and cruel he can be, and he brags about what he did to these uh, to his kids. After all, okay, so that's an important note, right? Th this is not this is not something. This is a a willful cruelty, um, a willful and explicit cruelty. This is someone who Tantalus is somebody who, as as Courier Six has mentioned, kind of revels in this and admits to it freely. Like, hey, I'm here to be a jerk, basically. Whereas somebody like Umbridge, um, and there are other examples of this as well. Um, they sort of, like, put it all under the, the blanket of, no, 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 this is because I understand the world so much better than you do, or a number of other reasons can end up, uh, sort of, in the, uh, can end up in the mix there. But, Dahlia, never you fear, I want to see what Twitch had to say as well. Um, let's see. Okay, we were discussing evil. And by the way, Memnite, thank you for putting the highlighted version of the message in there that tells me how far I need to scroll back upward in chat. Um, let's see. Fabriella says, I feel like fairness is particularly important to kids, especially kids in this age group. Yes, we've talked about it before. This is an age when people are expected to start having their own values. This is kind of the, this is, as far as Sam is concerned, this is my take on why the transition is so difficult from child to adult. I think this section of life is very notable for the fact that you are going from emulating the values of others to having sets of values of your own. In that middle space, you're kind of expected to have your own values, but sometimes you don't fully understand the world enough to have your own about certain things very tough time and some of those values end up in conflict with other people who do seem to have their own established values Shotzi Red says they end up cartoonish mustache twirling villain types mm, yes I'll tie you to the tr to the railroad track <laughs> Tanisha says unfairness can make you dislike the antagonist more and side with the protagonist right so uh, I think a big part of this is that Villains often work in big ways, big explosive ways, sometimes literally. Um, and for some of these things, the villains are presenting a a danger, and therefore the, the stakes of the whole situation are something that is unfamiliar to, to plenty of people. For instance, I, Sam, have never been in combat, for instance. Um, I have never been subject to uh, kidnapping. What 
unfairness does as a villain, a villain who their 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 sort of their big activity, their big plans, their schemes don't come down to robbing a bank or you know uh, uh, holding a holding Princess Anastasia uh, for for money. What the villain of unfairness is able to do is really relate to just about everyone. Just about everyone can understand precisely a moment where the stakes were someone's going to do something just incredibly unfair. Sometimes it's not even so much that it's like wrong, right? It's not wrong. It's not objectively wrong to have um, uh, Percy and Annabeth on kitchen duty, right? Someone does have to do it. But, and of course, I'm not discrediting the moments wherein the the unfairness villain is explicitly doing something that is wrong and even downright evil sometimes. What I mean is, even the little stuff, even the little stuff that's not objectively amoral, even those things, people can really relate to it. We can really relate to those those times when it has just it is just simply not fair what is happening. Dahlia says uh, mostly because there's no such. Th- oh wait, hold on. Let me let me catch the first one here. Um, Shotzi says, yeah, okay. So Shotzi's mentioning sort of the they tend to end up cartoonish mustache twirling types. Dahlia says mostly because there's no real thing. There's no such thing as true evil in real life. Uh, everything is actually a shade of gray, and good people have darkness in their hearts, and even people can even be kind. Life is much more complicated than dualistic dichotomies. And this is important. We've talked about it so many times in the past, and I think this is probably a good moment to reiterate it. Yeah, the idea that something as complex as a person can be considered entirely good or entirely evil, there's just too much going on in there, right? That's that's too complex a machine. Memnite says, it's more than just a person, though. For example, with Tyson, how he's treated is is considered a villain of unfairness. I think... I, so this this might be sort of a different take on the the um, uh, the language of it. Uh, I kind of I think I kind of get what you're going at there, Memnite. Um, yeah, I kind of I was I was thinking more in terms of the villain for whom unfairness is their modus operandi. The way that they operate is through unfairness. That is how their hammer comes down. And oh, good lord, y'all have indeed talked about this quite a bit in here, haven't you? Um, Roland says, yeah, pure evil is hard to come by. Pure evil is when someone is doing bad things for the enjoyment of it. Uh, they know what they're doing. It's not to push themselves to higher in life or save someone else or have any excuse for it. It's just done because they like it, which is, I don't know. I've never seen that. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen that done in any story. I think there are a couple. There certainly, there, I mean, there are more than a couple. I think there certainly are those. Um, but it's also, once again, that idea of relatability. That's not something many of us have encountered in real life. Some of us have. But I think it's very—it's it's much more frequent than you, that you will pass someone who is just objectively unfair, and they revel in that, like an umbrage or like a tantalus. Whether or not they're sort of keeping up some sort of artifice over that about why they're doing so. Orly Rose says, "And fairness is interesting because it's rarely tied to our strengths and blessings, and more tied to perceived lack. For example, I'm an excellent reader, good crafter, very artistic, which many people are not." But I was born two months early and have thick glasses, and no matter the good uh, it was, the hardship of bullying and disability that held my heart and self-esteem on lockdown. It was always so unfair to be a nice person, hated for glass and plastic I had no control over. A good example, right? Things that are totally outside of our control and are yet sort of um, sort of become a, 
a tool or a uh, a method for people to get out their own well i think i think it can come down to a lot of different things y'all y'all always hear me here trying to be very precise with my language um I think sometimes it is a power trip, sometimes it is people trying to establish that they are important in some way, uh, and the way that it comes out is to do this, but just nearly always, um, it's kind of a manifestation of something very, very negative that is happening internally, and it's much less a matter of the, the glass and the plastic itself, as much as they're looking for something. They're looking for anything to latch onto. It's like you mentioned, like, it is unfair that glass and plastic could have anything really to do with it. But frankly, it's, you know, it's, it is them seeking something. It's not that the glass and the plastic objectively are any real commentary on who you are. It's just that they're hunting for something to use. <laughs> Gwendog, hello, how you doing? Sorry, I know it's, I know chat got, uh, got pretty deep in there, so... Hello, I hope you're doing well. Uh, I hope the live stream's going well. Shotzi Red says, Tantalus right now is kind of one-dimensional. He'll be more fun when he becomes a deeper character. Reasoning and purpose. Interesting. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how this character develops out and how people react to him in that development. Courier6 says, If you really like the villain of Unfairness trope, the series of unfortunate events is for you. If this trope bothers you, you really don't want to watch or read that series. I could not agree more, and it drives me crazy, so I, I did not even finish that series. Couldn't do it. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Y'all, I think that's a pretty solid discussion. I do, I do apologize, of course, that I couldn't get to all of them, but remember, you're not just here to talk to me, and the, the, the goal for me is never that I'm going to get to every single one of the comments. Um... The goal is more for me that we start these conversations and then y'all have them with one another as much as you have them with me. Um, and y'all have been doing that more and more and more over time, over the years, and so I thank you very, very much for that. Jem says, oh, I hear you. I think plastic framed glasses, pork... Uh, I was... I was... Hold on. Jem says, oh, I hear you. I was... Think framed glasses, poor kid, very quirky. Yeah, no matter what good I did, I got hammered for uh, I what I did wrong always. I think that's how it goes, right? That is the that is the way that some people are. And as I mentioned, it is something it's a reflection of something very negative happening inside of that person. And I mean, we know what it is for Tantalus, right? Tantalus is I mean, even if we ignore some of the the history, if we are to assume that the story that he told, the ghost story, was indeed about himself, even if we were to ignore all that negativity from back before he was sent down to the the fields of torment. I mean, we know what's going on in his heart, right? He's like, he's he's tantalized constantly. Jade, <laughs> Jade says he needs a stickers bar. And I think, he, I think he probably does. And I'm also pretty sure I just said stickers bar. Now, everyone, are y'all ready to move on? I think it's about time. Chapter 7, a quick review. We are with... Percy the day after actually I guess it's later in the day of um, these chariot races in which Tantalus has decided that I guess Clarice did a great job and I guess Percy and Annabeth did a bad job huh well um, they are ordered to go help out in the kitchens where they have a discussion about what exactly could be going on with these dreams with Grover all of this and we finally kind of get the it's a little bit like our um, the, the, the moment with the oracle in our last book it kind of clears up what exactly the mission may may be here. The Golden Fleece. This is a sort of 
uh, mythological artifact that uh, was blessed and it emanates this nature magic and by that virtue uh, a couple of things are true first of all it makes perfect sense that Grover would sort of mistake it for uh, for Pan because it emanates the same kind of magic and also it seems to do pretty great things for nature somebody hung it up uh, near their town and the farmers were getting excess crops and the plants were flourishing the animals got better what could this do if they had it what could this do for Talia's tree could it save Talia's tree? Well, Annabeth seems to think it's almost a sure thing. Unfortunately, no one knows where the dang thing is, and she's kind of skeptical that Grover is really there, or really knows where it is, or that Percy really is in contact with Grover, and not just some sort of some sort of nightmare. Like, it's tough. So she seems unconvinced, but she's willing to try. They decide they're going to need a quest, so they're going to have to present it to Tantalus during supper, during dinner, whatever, during the during the campfire afterwards. Um, they head down there, and during this sort of campfire, they present their idea. They are going to they're going to need a a, a quest, and they're going to go find Grover. They're going to bring back this golden fleece, and they are going to use it to save the camp. How do we know? How do we know that's going to work? How do we know where it is? The campers seem pretty excited about it, but how do we really know this is going to work? And that's when Percy remembers those numbers that the Grey Sisters gave me. They must be coordinates. They must be coordinates. And so, indeed, they do know roundabout in the Sea of Monsters, which turns out to be the Bermuda Triangle. It has moved, as has much of the sort of mythological world. Uh, it's moved west dramatically, and it's now off the coast of Florida used to be in the Mediterranean, now it is off the coast of Florida, and that there is your sea monster. That there's your sea monsters out there. Hey, now you don't want to dip your toes down in there, you're going to get bit off by something or other. The reaction from Tantalus is, as expected, not great. Um, he decides he is going to send Clarice instead. Um, Clarice is going to accept this quest, in spite of the fact that it's Percy's friend, and Percy was the one who had the dreams, Percy's not happy. So, Clarice is off on this mission very soon. Um, and as Percy goes back to his bunk that night, he tells Tyson, look, don't you don't want to come with. You stay here, it'll be a good home for you. And tries to go to sleep. He can't manage it. He heads out to the beach. And while he's there, he meets another god. It's Hermes. And Hermes is uh, sort of like, he's got to get up like a jogger. Um, but the this is Luke's father, first of all. Um, if you ask Percy, that's first. And then, of course, the god of thieves, uh, god of uh, sort of like messages and such, uh, messengers. This is an interesting little interaction that they have. And at the end of the day, he gives Percy a couple of gifts, which include a thermos containing the four winds and, uh, yes, God of Travelers, Memnite, um, indeed. Uh, and then also a, a package of, like, shape vitamins. We don't know exactly what those are all about yet. Um, and then, finally, we find out that he's hoping Percy will be able to rescue not just Grover. And Percy knows who he's talking about. He's, he's kind of hoping that Percy will be able to rescue Luke in some way. Percy doesn't think that's going to happen. Doesn't even think it's possible. But this is the ask. 
Hermes disappears, and it's time for Percy to decide, as Annabeth and Tyson catch up with him out here on the beach, is he going to go on this mission even though he's been told he can't? And there we have it, y'all. There we go. Are you all ready? Because I think it's time to get into our second and final night. Second and final chapter for the evening. Chapter 8. We board the Princess Andromeda. I was staring at the waves when Annabeth and Tyson found me. What's going on? Annabeth asked. I heard you calling for help. Mm, me too, Tyson said. Heard you yell. Bad things are attacking. Hmm. I didn't call you guys, I said. I'm fine. But then, who? Annabeth noticed the three yellow duffel bags, and then the thermos, and the bottle of vitamins I was holding. What? Just listen, I said. We don't have much time. I told them all about my conversation with Hermes. By the time I was finished, I could hear screeching in the distance, patrol harpies picking up our scent. Percy, Annabeth said, we have to do the quest. We're going to get expelled, you know. Trust me, I am an expert at getting expelled. So, if we fail, there won't be any camp to come back to. Yeah, but you promised Chiron. I promised I'd keep you from danger. I can only do that by coming with you. Tyson can stay behind and tell them. I want to go, Tyson said. No, Annabeth's voice sounded close to panic. I mean, Percy, come on, you know that's impossible. I wondered again why she had such a grudge against Cyclopes. There was something she wasn't telling me. She and Tyson both looked at me, waiting for an answer. Meanwhile, the cruise ship was getting farther and farther away. The thing was, part of me didn't want Tyson along. I'd spent the last three days in close quarters with the guy, getting razzed by the other campers and embarrassed a million times a day, constantly reminded that I was related to him. I needed some space. Plus, I didn't know how much help he'd be or how to keep him safe. I'm sure he was strong, but Tyson was a little kid in Cyclops terms, maybe seven or eight years old mentally. I could see him freaking out and starting to cry while we were trying to sneak past a monster or something. He'd get us all killed. On the other hand, the sound of harpies was getting closer. We can't leave him, I decided. Tantalus will punish him for us being gone. Percy, Annabeth said, trying to keep her cool. We are going to Polyphemus's island. Polyphemus is a S-I-C-Y-K... She stamped her foot in frustration. As smart as she was, Annabeth was dyslexic, too. We could have been there all night as she tried to spell Cyclops. You know what I mean. Tyson can go, I insisted, if he wants to. Tyson clapped his hands. I want to. Mm. Annabeth gave me the evil eye, but I guess she could tell I wasn't going to change my mind. Or maybe she just knew we didn't have time to argue. All right, she said. How do we get to that ship? Hermes said that my father would help. Well then, seaweed brain, what are you waiting for? 
I'd always had a hard time calling on my father or praying or whatever you want to call it, but I stepped into the waves. Uh, Dad? I called. Um, hmm, how's it going? Percy? Annabeth whispered. We're in a hurry. I need your help. I called a little louder. We need to get to that ship, like before we get eaten and stuff, so... At first, nothing happened. Waves crashed against the shore like normal. The harpies sounded like they were right behind the sand dunes. And then, about a hundred yards out to sea, three white lines appeared on the surface. They moved fast toward the shore, like claws ripping through the ocean. As they reached the beach, the surf burst apart and the heads of three white stallions reared out of the waves. Tyson caught his breath. Hmm, fish ponies. Hmm. He was right. As the creatures pulled themselves into the sand, I saw that they were only horses on the front. Their back halves were silvery fish bodies with glistening scales and rainbow tail fins. Hippocampi, Annabeth said. They're beautiful. The nearest one whinnied in appreciation and nuzzled Annabeth. Uh, yeah, we're going to admire them later, I said. Come on. A voice screeched behind me. Bad children out of bed. Snack time for lucky harpies. Five of them were fluttering over the dunes. Plump little hags with pinched faces and talons and feathery wings too small for their bodies. They reminded me of miniature cafeteria ladies who had been crossbred with dodo birds. They weren't very fast, thank the gods, but they were vicious if they caught you. Dyson, I said, grab a duffel bag. He was still staring at the hippocampi with his mouth hanging wide open. Tyson! Huh? Come on! With Annabeth's help, I got him moving. We gathered the bags and mounted our steeds. Poseidon must have known Tyson was one of the passengers, because one hippocampus was much larger than the other two. Just right for carrying a cyclops. G g giddy up! I said. My hippocampus turned and plunged into the waves. Annabeth's and Tyson's followed right behind. The harpies cursed at us, wailing for their snacks to come back, but the hippocampi raced over the water at the speed of jet skis. The harpies fell behind, and soon the shore of Camp Half-Blood was nothing but a dark smudge. I wondered if I'd ever see the place again. But right then, I had other problems. The cruise ship was now looming in front of us. Our ride toward Florida in the Sea of Monsters. Riding the hippocampus was even easier than riding a pegasus. We zipped along with the wind at our faces, speeding through the waves so smoothly and steadily I hardly needed to hold on at all. As we were getting closer to the cruise ship, I realized just how big it was. I felt as though I was looking up at a building in Manhattan. The white hull was at least ten stories tall, topped with another dozen levels of brightly lit balconies and portholes. The ship's name was painted just below the bow line in black letters, lit with a spotlight. It took me a few seconds to decipher it. Princess Andromeda. Attached to the bow was a huge masthead, a three-story tall woman wearing a white Greek chiton, sculpted to look as though she were chained to the front of the ship. She was young and beautiful, with flowing black hair, but her expression was one of absolute terror. Why would anyone want a screaming princess on the front of their vacation ship? I had no idea. 
I remembered the myth about Andromeda, and how she too had been changed to a rock by her own parents as a sacrifice to a sea monster. Maybe she'd gotten too many Fs on her report card or something. Anyway, my namesake, Perseus, had saved her just in time and turned the sea monster to stone using the head of a Medusa. That Perseus always won. That's why my mom had named me after him, even though he was the son of Zeus and I was the son of Poseidon. The original Perseus was one of the only heroes in the Greek myths who got a happy ending. The others died, betrayed, mauled, mutilated, poisoned, or cursed by the gods. My mom hoped I would inherit Perseus's luck. Judging by how my life was going so far, I wasn't real optimistic. How do we get on board? Annabeth shouted over the noise of the waves, but the hippocampi seemed to know what we needed. They skimmed along the starboard side of the ship, riding easily through its huge wake, and pulled up next to a service ladder riveted to the side of the hull. You first, I told Annabeth. She slung her duffel bag over her shoulder and climbed the bottom rung. Once she had hoisted herself onto the ladder, her hippocampus whinnied a farewell and dove underwater. Annabeth began to climb. I let her get a few rings up and then followed her. Finally, it was just Tyson in the water. His hippocampus was treating him to 360-degree aerials and backward ollies, and Tyson was laughing so hysterically the sound echoed up the side of the ship. Tyson! Tyson! Shush, 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 I said. Come on, big guy. Can't we take Rainbow? Hmm, he asked, his smile fading. I stared at him. Rainbow? The hippocampus whinnied as if he liked his new name. Uh, we we have to go, I said. Rainbow? Well, he, he can't climb ladders. Tyson sniffled. He buried his face in the hippocampus's mane. I will miss you, Rainbow. Hmm. The hippocampus made a neighing sound I could have sworn was crying. Maybe we'll see him again sometime, I suggested. Oh, please, Tyson said, perking up immediately. Tomorrow. I didn't make any promises, but I finally convinced Tyson to say his farewells and grab a hold of the ladder. With a final sad whinny, Rainbow the hippocampus did a backflip and dove into the sea. The ladder led to a maintenance deck, stacked with yellow lifeboats. There was a set of locked double doors, which Annabeth managed to pry open with her knife and a fair amount of cursing in ancient Greek. I figured we'd have to sneak around, being stowaways and all, but after checking a few corridors and peering over a balcony into a huge central promenade lined with closed shops, I began to realize there was nobody to hide from. I mean, sure, it was the middle of the night, but we walked half the length of the boat and met no one. We passed forty or fifty cabin doors and heard no sound behind any of them. It's a ghost ship, I murmured. No, Tyson said, fiddling with the strap of his duffel bag. Bad smell. Hmm. Annabeth frowned. I don't smell anything. Psychopes are like satyrs, I said. They can smell monsters. Isn't that right, Tyson? He nodded nervously. 
Now that we were away from Camp Half-Blood, the mist had distorted his face again. Unless I concentrated very hard, it seemed he had two eyes instead of one. He nodded nervously. Now that we were away from Camp Half-Blood, the mist had distorted his face again. Unless I concentrated very hard, it seemed to me he had two eyes instead of one. Okay, Annabeth said. So, what exactly do you smell? Something bad, mm, Tyson answered. Great, Annabeth grumbled. That clears it up. We came outside on the swimming pool level. There were rows of empty deck chairs and a bar closed off with a chain curtain. The water in the pool glowed eerily, sloshing back and forth from the motion of the ship. Above us, fore and aft, were more levels, a climbing wall, a putt-putt golf course, a revolving restaurant. But no sign of life. And yet, I sensed something. Something familiar. Something dangerous. I had a feeling if I weren't so tired and burned out on adrenaline from our long night, I might be able to put a name on what was wrong. We need a hiding place, I said. Somewhere we can sleep safe. Sleep? Annabeth agreed wearily. We explored a few more corridors until we found an empty suite on the ninth level. The door was open, which struck me as weird... There was a basket of chocolate goodies on the table, an iced-down bottle of sparkling cider on the bedstand, and a mint on the pillow, with a handwritten note that said, Enjoy your cruise. We opened our duffel bags for the first time and found that Hermes really had thought of everything. Extra clothes, toiletries, camp rations, a Ziploc bag full of cash, a leather pouch full of golden drachmas, he even managed to pack Tyson's oilcloth with his tools and metal bits and Annabeth's cap of invisibility, which made them both feel a lot better. I'll be next door, Annabeth said. You guys don't drink or eat anything. You think this place is enchanted? She frowned. I don't know. Something isn't right. Just be careful. We locked our doors. Tyson crashed on the couch. He tinkered for a few minutes on his metalworking project, which he still wouldn't show me, but soon enough he was yawning. He wrapped up his oilcloth and passed out. I lay on the bed, staring at the porthole. I thought I heard voices out in the hallway, like whispering. I knew that couldn't be. We'd walked all over the ship and seen nobody, but the voices kept me awake. They reminded me of my trip to the underworld, the way the spirits of the dead sounded as they drifted past. Finally, my weariness got the better of me. I fell asleep, and I had my worst dream yet. I was standing in a cavern at the edge of an enormous pit. I knew the place too well. The entrance to Tartarus and I recognized the cold laugh that issued from the darkness below. If it isn't the young hero. The voice was like a knife blade scraping across stone. 
on his way to another great victory. I wanted to shout at Kronos to leave me alone. I wanted to draw Riptide and strike him down, but I couldn't move. And even if I could, how could I kill something that had already been destroyed, chopped to pieces and cast into eternal darkness? Don't let me stop you, the Titan said. Perhaps this time, when you fail, you'll wonder if it's really worthwhile slaving for the gods. How exactly has your father shown appreciation lately? <laughs> His laughter filled the cavern, and suddenly the scene changed. It was a different cave. Grover's bedroom prison in the Cyclope's lair. Grover was sitting at the loom in his soiled wedding dress, madly unraveling threads of the unfinished bridal train. Honey pie! The monster shouted from behind the boulder. Grover yelped and began to weave the threads back together. The room shook as the boulder was pushed aside. Looming in the doorway was a cyclops so huge he made Tyson look vertically challenged. He had jagged yellow teeth and gnarled hands as big as my whole body. He wore a faded purple t-shirt that said World Sheep Expo 2001. He must have been at least 15 feet tall, but the most startling thing was his enormous milky eye, scarred and webbed with cataracts. If he wasn't completely blind, he had to be pretty darn close. What are you doing? The monster demanded. Nothing, nothing. Grover said in his falsetto voice, just weaving, weaving my bridal train, as you can see. The Cyclops stuck one hand into the room and groped around till he found the loom. He pawed at the cloth. It hasn't gotten any longer. Oh, um, yes it has, dearest. See, I've added at least an inch. Too many delays, the monster bellowed, then he sniffed the air. You smell good, like goats. Oh, <laughs> Grover forced a weak giggle. You like it? It's you, the chef. I wore it just for you. Mmm. Cyclops bared his pointed teeth. Good enough to eat. Oh, you're such a flirt. Hmm. No more delays. But, dear, I'm not done. Tomorrow. No, no, ten more days. Five. Oh, well, seven, then, if you insist. Seven. That is less than five, right? Oh, certainly. Yes, oh yes. The monster grumbled, still not happy with this deal, but he left Grover to his weaving and rolled the boulder back into place.
Grover closed his eyes and took a shaky breath, trying to calm his nerves. Hurry, Percy, he muttered. Please, please, please. I woke up to a ship's whistle and a voice on the intercom. Some guy with an Australian accent who sounded way too happy. Good morning, passengers. We'll be at sea all day today. Excellent weather for the poolside mumbo party. Don't forget Million Dollar Bingo at the Kraken Lounge at one o'clock. And for our special guests, disemboweling practice on the promenade. I sat up in bed. What did he say? Tyson groaned still half asleep. He was lying face down on the couch, his feet so far over the edge they were in the bathroom. The happy man said, hmm, bowling practice? I hoped he was right, but then there was an urgent knock on the suite's interior door. Annabeth stuck her head in, her blonde hair in a rat's nest. Disemboweling practice? Once we were all dressed, we ventured into the ship and were surprised to see other people. A dozen senior citizens were heading to breakfast. A dad was taking his kids to the pool for a morning swim. Crew members in crisp white uniforms strolled the deck, tipping their hats to the passengers. Nobody asked who we were. Nobody paid us much attention. But there was something wrong. As the family of swimmers passed us, the dad told his kids, We're on a cruise. We're having fun. Yes, his three kids said in unison, their expressions blank. We're having a blast. We will swim in the pool. They wandered off. Good morning, the crew member told us, his eyes glazed. We are all enjoying ourselves. Aboard the Princess Andromeda. Have a nice day. He drifted away. Percy, this is weird, Annabeth whispered. They're all in some kind of trance. Then we passed a cafeteria and saw our first monster. It was a hellhound, a black mastiff with its front paws up on the buffet line and its muzzle buried in scrambled eggs. It must have been young because it was small compared to most, no bigger than a grizzly bear. Still, my blood turned cold. I'd almost gotten killed by one of those before. The weird thing was, a middle-aged couple was standing in the buffet line right behind the devil dog, patiently waiting their turn for the eggs. They didn't seem to notice anything out of the ordinary. Mmm. Mmm. Not hungry. Anymore, Tyson murmured. Before Annabeth or I could reply, a reptilian voice came from down the corridor. Six more joined yesterday. Annabeth gestured frantically toward the nearest hiding place, the women's room, and all three of us ducked inside. I was so freaked out it didn't even occur to me to be embarrassed. Something, more like two somethings, slithered past the bathroom door, making sounds like sandpaper against the carpet. Yes, a second reptilian voice said. 
he draws them. Soon we will be strong. The things slithered into the cafeteria with a cold hissing that might have been snake laughter. Annabeth looked at me. We have to get out of here? You think I want to be in the girls' bathroom? I mean the ship, Percy. We have to get off the ship. Mm Hmm. Smells bad, Tyson agreed. And dogs eat all the eggs. Annabeth is right. Hmm. We must leave the restroom and ship. Hmm. I shuddered. If Annabeth and Tyson were agreeing on something, I figured I'd better listen. And then I heard another voice outside. One that chilled me worse than any monster's. It's only a matter of time. Don't push me, Agrius. It was Luke, beyond a doubt. I could never forget his voice. I'm not pushing you, another guy growled. His voice was deeper and even angrier than Luke's. Just saying, if this gamble doesn't pay off, it'll pay off, Luke snapped. He'll take the bait. Now, come on. Gotta get to the Admiralty Suite and check on the casket. Their voices receded down the corridor. Tyson whimpered. Mm-hmm. Mm. Leave now? Annabeth and I exchanged looks and came to a silent agreement. We can't, I told Tyson. We'll have to find out what Luke is up to, Annabeth agreed. And if possible, we're going to beat him up and bind him in chains and then drag him to Mount Olympus. That's it, y'all. That's our second chapter. What do we think? What are we thinking so far, y'all? Did we think we were going to catch back up with Luke this early? I think I had a couple I had a couple of predictions at the end of our last book and at least one of them is pretty much entirely correct. Um, we are indeed catching up with Grover kind of like midway through a quest and Percy's going to have to come and rescue him. I guess I was right about that much, but I did not expect such a such a quick encounter with Luke, right? Memnite says, was that a serious riff? I think it probably was. I think it was a bit, right? A little bit. I just figured, here's the thing, I don't know quite as much about this character yet, so it's possible that that voice is going to be one that develops over time, but hey, if we're talking about some some deep, gravelly voice, Ceres is about as deep and gravelly as I got, y'all. So we will, we will have to see. And as usual, I have I have warned you all, frankly, I think it's going to, I think it's fun, I think it's fun, more than it's like disturbing, um, to have voices show back up uh, and sort of like end up cast as these other additional characters. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to do. I hope you all feel the same way. Um, let's see. Orly Rose says, now Hades is sus because I think he knew Luke was there. Now, when you say Hades, did you mean Hermes, Orly Rose? I'm guessing that's what you meant. Um, because, <laughs> uh, yeah, Rose is thinking that maybe, maybe someone sending Percy off here did indeed know that Luke was going to be there. It certainly seems like Hermes has Luke on his mind. Um, now, whether that is as a concerned parent or just somebody who is like, 
you know, maybe worried about how their name is going around in the world. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, my, 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 no, my good for nothing son, Luke out there causing trouble for everyone. Shotzi says he knew he wants Percy to save him. Did he know? Did he know? He was certainly in an interesting place at an interesting time, right? Jem said, I think, uh, I think I thought we would get Luke and not Grover so fast. Interesting. Lisa says, I'm really falling in love with this series and I hadn't expected to. Well done, Sam. I am super happy to hear about it. And y'all, if you want... <laughs> oh boy, Dahlia. If you all would like to hear more stories, uh, of course, you can head to the YouTube. Um, I have got a list in the Discord of a bunch of different playlists. Um, we have read through the entire Harry Potter series. We are reading through the entire Percy Jackson series. We are reading through currently... Uh, on Tuesdays, reading through The Hobbit. On Wednesdays, we have got our own uh, storytelling adventure that we are telling ourselves here. Uh, it is improvised storytelling that chat can have a huge impact on the story with. Um, Dahlia is a fan of that one, as our uh, and and Sander has been very regular over there as well. I've seen Orly Rose over there, y'all. It has been a pretty great time, and I hope you will come join us for our other projects as well. Because as much fun as I have here. I just want to keep doing it more and more. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Okay. Sander says, I'm always here, whatever the stream is. Yeah, I guess at this point, that's pretty true, isn't it? Yeah, Sander, you, you've definitely, like, you're pretty much here no matter what's going on at this point, aren't you? Uh, Roland says, Hermes said, I hope you can save many people on this quest. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Vane Howlett's wondering, are we doing Heroes of Olympus as well, Sam? I will include the next series in the vote, um, but I am predicting that will not be the case because, of course, we do this by by uh, by democratic vote, basically. You can vote for as many on the list as you want. That will be up much closer to the end of, like, it, that vote will certainly not be available until we are, like, halfway through the final book in this series. I will include it in the vote, but I'm predicting I, i've got a pretty good idea i know which one y'all are going to vote for <laughs> which which one's going to get voted in next we shall see but i'm pretty confident i know which one it's going to be um hogwarts hippie says gonna head out friends see y'all next week have a great night hippie it's been wonderful i hope you're doing well and good luck with the re-recording y'all if you want to find hogwarts hippie and what uh hogwarts hippie has been up to you can find her and more here at this link right here it is the sidecar sidekick link tree um and it includes all sorts of friends, including people I have streamed with before, people who are streaming out here in the uh, in the in the in the community. Y'all, check that out because there's some great folks in there. Uh, Sandra says, "Yeah, don't say what you think we will vote because it might change the outcome." Yeah, I try to be careful about that. I try not to not to have a, an impact on it. I have the only impact I have on it is I ultimately decide whether or not something is going to be included in the vote. If I think it's something that would work okay for the channel, then I include it in the vote. If I think it's just not going to work, um, then I won't necessarily include it in the vote. For instance, like Lord of the Rings, I wasn't ready for that uh, back when we were doing our most recent votes. Um, and so it was not on the was not on the list. It was too big. Um, uh, Memnite says, vote Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones will not be included in any votes until the series is finished. I am not going to, I'm not going to read it myself and I'm not going to read it here on stream, certainly, until it is all, it has all been published. I'm not getting into it. Um, it would just drive me absolutely mad uh, to start on it and just sort of like hope that the final one's going to get published at some point. I kind of doubt it. 
Now, The Witcher, that's a different issue. That one might well end up on the list. I've heard it's very good. Fabriella says, is there a place for suggestions? And currently, we don't have those open. Um, I sort of open those up uh, sporadically while... Um, um, while like uh, while I'm looking for stuff essentially, because I want it to be relevant to people who are here currently as we're about to start a new series. Does that make sense? Like I wouldn't want I wouldn't want a um uh, a bunch of folks who had like been here a year ago but they aren't really here now to be having a, a significant impact on the vote that we're going to try and take soon if we were to have one. So um yeah I I kind of open those up when the time gets a bit closer, but it will be with plenty of time for y'all to get in suggestions. Um, let's see. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Now, I want to talk about something quick here um, before we go to our bad beans. Um, we've got Percy off on another quest, right? And once again, it kind of deals with the gods and their whole stees. Um, But it's a little bit more than that, right? It's not just sort of a quarrel between the, between the gods this time. It seems like the biggest god that's involved here, the big two at least, are Poseidon and Hermes. What do y'all think is going to come of this? I'm kind of asking for predictions, but at the end of the day, this is kind of about how it affects our protagonist and some of the other characters here. Um, I'm curious how you think our characters are going to be interacting with uh, with these gods and what other gods we think are going to make an appearance here. Dahlia says, Sam, the Mistborn series is incredible, but of course I'll throw that down once we do submissions again. Uh... Mistborn, I've heard, I've heard quite a bit about that one. Yeah, yeah. There are like, I think there, there are certain, there are certain books that I think would make for good streams that I don't think we necessarily have like room for them right now. Like I think Lord of the Rings has to be something other than vintage sidecar, and it also kind of has to be something other than flying sidecar. I think like The Witcher. Mistborn. I feel like those have to be kind of different things. Um, but of course, I'm very excited for the day when we can make that happen. <laughs> Hopefully soon. Um, Vane Howlett says, I think Ares will show up. Okay, interesting. What do you think? Yeah, wh what part do you think Ares is going to play in all this? <laughs> Memnite says, Vampire Diaries. I mean, I've frankly, I've heard good things about that one as well. I have not read it myself, so I couldn't tell you, but I know a lot of people enjoy it. Yeah, we, we would need a new sidecar something there, Sander. Indeed, indeed. How do we think the gods are going to make an appearance here coming up? And what effect is that going to have on the things that we see Percy and Annabeth and Tyson? especially curious about Tyson. Uh, Dahlia says, earlier I said, let's not shoot the messenger until we, we've heard the full message. Don't trust immediately, but wait until you know more about him before making decisions. Don't shoot the messenger is like, that would absolutely be the name of the debut album by a band called Hermes, right? That would be a very good one. Um, but yeah, there is there is that one thing that he says that is just very, very, it's very much a red flag, right? Don't, don't uh, second guess the gifts, right? Just, just accept the gifts. Well, that's gone, shall we say, a certain way for Percy already in this series, and that way was not a good way. I think we can agree. So, um, I think we can anticipate Percy, yeah, he is going to be keeping his eyes out for what exactly does Hermes want here, because although Percy has guessed that it is to kind of rescue uh, Luke, we don't know that. We don't have any we don't have any confirmation of that. Even, even Hermes himself 
even though there really would be no reason for him to to stay silent about this if this was his motivation like should be easy enough to say yeah p please save luke like he's my kid for for whatever reasons whether they're selfish or otherwise can you save luke he chose hermes chose not to acknowledge that this is just a guess so who knows and i think dolly is right it's a good instinct to uh for for percy to keep an eye on and I, I'm guessing that Annabeth is going to be keeping a very close eye on this as well. Basically, don't shoot the messenger. Don't. Bruh. For real? It's been a few months at this point. We've had this... We, we used to have a pretty quiet street. And then this person or this group of people have, I guess, decided that the street outside is just going to become their drag racing strip. Um, and it is 6.16 p.m. right now. It's not even like the middle of the night, although they do definitely love to do it in the middle of the night. So, uh, thanks a lot, uh, local PD. Killing it. Anyway, um, Van Saves Live says, uh, Eric just rode by on his motorcycle. He's checking up on you. Oh, I got you. You seen what I'm up to? You seen if I'm besmirching his name? Yeah, get, get down here. Get down here, bud. Okay, now, y'all. I think uh, keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on, um, and this is, by the way, this is the advice I think I would give. Keep an eye on Hermes. That's both as as a as a advice to Percy and advice to you all listening. Keep an eye on Hermes. I want to know what he's all about here. What he what is he doing? Why did he get involved? And does Kronos have anything to do with it? Because right now it just feels like Kronos is he's got his his weird claws up in everything, doesn't he? Van Saves Live says, we all appreciate the smolder, Sam. I'm glad. Hmm, what is this? Is this smolder? Hold on. Hold on. Wait a second. Is this smolder? <laughs> That's basically smolder, right? Uh, it, it might just be a goat trying to get into Luis's house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody have a great night. Um, we are going to raid over uh, to Critical Role again, because once again, by hook or by crook, whether it's by me or by somebody else, I am going to get all of you very interested in tabletop RPGs. They are going to be starting very, very shortly. The timing works out perfectly on Thursday nights. Y'all, just just go check it out. If, if tabletop RPGs are not something that has interested you in the past, even here on this channel, that's okay, I get it. But these folks are doing it at the highest level, the highest production level. Some incredible, incredible, prof literally professional voice talents. I hope you will enjoy it. Y'all, I will see you next week. Tuesday for The Hobbit, Wednesday for Tabletop RPGs. Right now we're doing the After, our eight-part miniseries, and we're more than halfway through at this point. Got a new guest, and of course on Thursdays, y'all know what it is. I'll see y'all later. Adios.